Arsenal Ozil. Marca Mesut Ozil. Corner. Llegó el gol de Olivier Giroud. Marca el Arsenal. Marca Olivier Giroud. Gol de los Gunners. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there, welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. Goodly evening to you, James. Goodly evening. This is unconventional of us, certainly. It is, it is. We're having to record Sunday evening because uh, you've got uh, a train to take tomorrow, which I, um, I'm sorry to tell you this, but that train is going to be delayed by mm. about seven hours. And then yeah. when, the, when the train eventually takes off, or what does a train do? Depart. When it departs from the station, it's yeah. going to take a wrong turn and it's going to end up in Narnia. Uh, and unfortunately, the train services in Narnia are, are really bad. And uh, you're going to be, it's going to take you about three weeks to get where you need to go. But I just, imagine, just putting I it imagine out that's there. true. I mean, obviously, I'll be quite unwell as well. Let's oh, forget that. yeah, yeah. Sorry, I did mean, mean to tell you that. You're going to get Ebola and a Zika virus from uh, somebody just at the train station. They're going to sneeze on you and, and you're going to be dreadfully, dreadfully ill the whole time. Lovely. Well, you know, I look forward to that. I mean, you're absolutely right. I'm, sh I'm sure all of those things will unfold. It's a like four and a half, five hour train trip as, as well. I'm going yeah. to Edinburgh, so there's plenty of scope, isn't there? There is things to go awry. There is. There is. Anyway, how's your evening? I'm dr I'm drinking a beer, which is I'm not drinking, normally I'm, uh, a Wildwood organic cider. Ooh, how very how very fancy! I'm drinking a uh, a Barcino Gothic mm. ale. It's a craft beer from Barcelona, named after the, the Barry Gothic in Barcelona, and it's really nice, actually. I haven't seen it in the shops here before, so I, I got it today. Of course, you, you know, I love Barcelona, having lived there, and I said, oh, that's nice, and I like the design of the bottle, so I said, I'll get some of that. And it tastes good, too, so it's win-win. Excellent. Anyone wondering, by the way, while we're dropping brand names in, we should probably explain about what happened with all the jam, right? Yeah, do. Go for it. So, obviously, last week we had the great preserve taste-off with raspberry jam, uh, strawberry jam, and, of course, my introduction to marmalade. If you haven't listened, guys, you've got to go back. It's oh, you know, yeah, breaking yeah. new ground in the Seriously. podcasting world. Seriously. But the two raspberry and strawberry jams that we used were Hartley's. Is that, is that the correct That's name? right, yeah. yeah. Uh, that was the, the brand who produced them. And then, I can't remember quite how it came about, but they ended up getting on t in touch via Twitter and have subsequently agreed to supply us both with some jam. I am, I'm, I'm assuming we're going to get like a year's supply of jam because that's, that's, much, the, that's the thing, isn't it? How much jam is it fair to realistically expect from this exchange? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, they could be like super generous and mm. send us a, a crate of jam each. Your crate of raspberry, crate of strawberry, maybe some mixed berries. I don't know. Maybe there'll be one of each of the jams that they do. But it's it's fantastic. They said I, I did really like the um the the DM that they sent on Twitter. They said, Hey guys, since you're such big brand fans, we'd like yeah. to send you some product. Yeah. I'm a, listen, I'm a jam fan. Send me some jam. Yeah. Let's call it like it is. Yes, come on. Don't do don't do it a disservice by just calling it product. It's it's jam. Jam. Yes, exactly. It's just jam, guys. Yeah. But uh, I'm excited. I'm actually... So I'm getting the train to Edinburgh because I'm going to be at the festival up there yeah. for a month. I'm going to have my jam delivered to Edinburgh because it'd be a terrible waste if it got delivered to home and I couldn't have it until September. And so, Or someone robbed it. Well, imagine if it gets left on the step. I mean, thieves and foxes will have it for themselves. For sure. For sure. I mean, yeah, no jam is safe in, in big, bad London, really, just sitting out there. 
someone will take it. And I, I you know, I got thinking uh, about, you know, talking about jam and we had a very, it was a very organic discussion, wasn't it? It wasn't contrived in any way. This was a, this was an actual thing that we were doing that came up in conversation. We weren't simply trying to get free jam, but free jam appears to have been one of the bonuses of it. But then I was thinking, well, what if you, you know, not being able to tell the difference between strawberry and raspberry. What if we could apply that to something else? And I, you know, James, I'm going to be brutally honest with you here. Sure. I'm sure. going to confess something to you yeah. and to the listeners that they may laugh. They may think I'm a simple man, an uneducated man, but I really don't know the difference between an Audi A6 yeah. and an Audi A7. Sure. Now, if I was to guess, I would say that a striking exterior design with a sweeping roofline and wide, imposing stands all combine to give the Audi A7 Sportback its unmistakable style because it's got LED headlights with a dynamic rear indicators, sporty twin chrome exhaust, and an electrically retractable spoiler to complete an appearance that, that emanates strength. Now, that's just yeah. me talking myself here. That's just yeah, what exactly. I think. But that's I could, in layman's terms. Absolutely. I could be completely wrong. What if, what if I'm completely wrong? I mean, do you think maybe Audi could send us an A7 and an A6, and, and that way we would be able to, to tell them apart? Look, I think if Audi, you know, they, everyone's concerned about this confusion that exists between A6 and A7. Yeah. It just seems sensible that Audi would want to clear that up once and for all and that we would be the guys to do it. Absolutely. If we can bring clarity to the world of strawberry and raspberry jam, uh, an issue that has plagued mankind for many, many years, and we cleared yeah. it up in the space of 10 minutes on a podcast, I think it would be only right that, that Audi should provide us uh, with some product because we are big brand fans, and if they could send us some product, then we, we, could, we, could, we could make things better for them. Listen, that's a product I would very much enjoy. I'd be an even bigger brand fan of Audi yeah. if they delivered that product to my door. Okay, right. Now now what, do we just wait? Just, we just wait. We just and wait. then next week, I try and figure out the difference between silver and gold. <laughs> <laughs> Live <laughs> on air. <laughs> Dear European Central Bank, yeah. we really can't tell the difference between 50 euro notes and yeah. 100 euro notes. Do you think you could send us a stack of each? That would be great. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we may be pushing our look there, but I'm eagerly awaiting my new car. This is going to be fantastic. Very exciting. Yeah, Very so. Exciting. So, look, what's going on? Not much, well, but stuff no, also. Um, well, yes, what well, in football terms? Ooh, yeah. Not much, but stuff also. Yeah. I mean, we went we're in America, not we, us obviously. That would be exciting. Yeah, it would be exciting. Yeah. Um, but Arsenal, the club, the team, representatives thereof are in America. Yes, they are. And, uh, you know, they're playing tonight uh, against uh, Chivas Guadalajara in L.A., having already played against the MLS All-Stars in San yeah, Jose the other night. Um, and they've been, you know, they've been training and doing things and launching new kits and, and all kinds of shenanigans. They've been getting up to all kinds over there. Yeah, they seem to be having a, a lovely time. What did you make of the kits? Actually, you know, I'm not hugely invested in them unless they're, like, tr truly horrible. Um, sure. But I, I, I like the away kit, I have to say. I think it looks... Maybe it's because it looks very good on Hector Bellerin. You know, he, 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 he's he got style, doesn't he? He's got a fashion sense, Hector. Uh, if you look at his Instagram, you look at some of the pictures of him, you know, he he's not afraid to wear a coat that most people would think ridiculous. Yeah. So I mean, with that haircut, I think you can get away with a lot. It's yeah. such a such an extraordinarily good haircut. Yeah, it is. It is. So I think he's got the fashion chops to pull off 
pretty much any kit, but I think it looked uh, I think it looked quite good. And also, I was a big fan of in the promotional shop for. Uh, the kit, they had the three Spanish uh, players there. They had Santi Cazorla front and centre in the red. They had Nacho Monreal in this third kit, which is kind of what, a dark blue with a like a uh, lime green sort of stripey thing on it? Or Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, yeah, you know, one of those third kits. Um, I don't think that we should really give a single shit about a third kit, to be perfectly honest. But uh, then Hector was there in the away kit with the collar. But I liked in the tweet that Puma put out, Hector's nipple is is very visible. Really? Well, through the through the kit. Through the kit. Yeah. So if you have a look at the uh, the picture, um, I wonder. Yeah. If you look at Puma football, I think they they had it up there. Uh, okay. Uh, and if you have a look at it now, yeah, yeah we'll do. Yeah, do it. Here it is. And look, actually, is not the only one. Santis are. Santi's are right there too, but but Hector's is a real diamond oh, cutter. Yeah. It's a real Very diamond pronounced. cutter, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that almost looks like it's been built into the kit. Yeah, like little nipple sockets. Yeah, indeed. Wow. That's right. uh, yeah. That must have some sort of benefit. Maybe that's uh, the breakthrough that fo- football kits have been waiting for. You know, forget this streamlined air uh, breathable technology. You know, to let the air go around nipple sockets. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably worth an extra 20 quid. And I also imagine. about 12 points a season, I would say. Well, of course that. Yeah. Of course that. Um, what else can I say about the kit? I mean, it's fine. It's yellow the away. I'll take that. Yeah. Yeah. What What about Nacho's face in the picture? I've moved away from it. What was he up to? He's just kind of looking like, sort of like he's he's walked in and he's seen his parents having sex and he's trying to forget it. Yeah, that's very true, actually. If you go to Puma Football, look at this tweet. Hector Bellerin and Santi Gazzola having a lovely time. Hector Bellerin appears to be holding up a phone, and it sort of it looks a bit like a selfie, but perhaps on that phone is not a camera, but a picture of Nacho Monreal's parents having sex. Yeah, here's, here's Hector- I'm just sending you one through there. This is a different picture that I'm looking at, I think. Okay. But have a look at that one. Uh, uh, I'm looking. Yeah, I, I mean, he's he's not a happy man, generally, is he? He's not a happy man with what's unfolding. Yeah. Um, but <sighs> Nacho, it's a shame. He's a, he's a cheerful guy at times. Let me load this picture up. See what oh, I mean? God, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was looking at a different picture in which Hector Bellerin's nipple is equally pronounced. Right. It seems that in all <laughs> in all the publicity images for this uh, for this new kit, Hector Bellerin's nipple is pronounced. Right. I mean, Did they I take know. it on a cold day? Must have. Or he's just permanently aroused. Maybe that's what it is. Could be that. Yeah. Could be that. He is, you know, perhaps there was a mirror in front of him. As I say, it's a good haircut. <laughs> um, yeah, but I quite like them. I think they look okay, you know. Um, but ultimately, you you get used to them very quickly, don't you? And then it's like, oh, new kits next season. I see people all the time going, oh, God, three kits. They're launching three kits again. What a complete ripoff. This is disgraceful. And then, you know, you don't you don't have to buy them, do you? There's not, no obligation. It's not as far mandatory, as I'm aware. yeah. No, it's not mandatory. Um, and I, I can't see, I don't know, who's buying that third kit? I'd be surprised if they shift too many of those, but. Yeah. We shall see. Completionists, they're the ones. They are, yeah. The ones who've got to have every single thing. Yeah. <sighs> Couldn't afford it. Couldn't afford it. I don't mind it, actually, that third one, I have to say. That'd be sort of reasonable. Five aside, kind of a top, wouldn't it? If you didn't want to be so. like the archetypal look, I'm I'm not being a full kit wanker guy, but you know this is like, yeah, that would be all right if it's darks and lights. 
That's the way everyone does their five-a-side teams, isn't it? Darks and lights. I hope so, if they know what they're doing. Yeah. like the, the, There's no need for skins. Yeah, or, or, or bibs, right? Nobody's that organised yeah. that they have bibs. No one can afford bibs this day and age. Jesus. Uh, but yeah, I, I probably would go for it. But I mean, it's it look. It's better than the white third kit. Do you remember the white kit? Yeah, that was like the away kit, kit, wasn't it? Was that the away kit, not the actual third kit? That was our. Was that oh, not God. the away kit that we wore when we went to AC Milan and Sesk scored that goal from I distance? I think it was the long range dribbler. Yeah, I always when I think of that kit, I always picture Diaby in it. Which sort of, I think, tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, yeah. I think it was also the kit that we wore when we got spanked in the FA Cup by Manchester United and, and Nanny did that um, ball juggling thing and then uh, Flamini tried to chop his legs off with a slight yes. tackle. Yeah. That explains an awful lot yeah. about my ill feeling about yeah. it. Um, we played a football match as well. We did. I didn't see it because it was uh, took place very late at night. Yes. And I was drunk that night. Fair play. Yeah, I said, uh, maybe I'll stay up. And then I was like, no, <laughs> straight to bed. Straight Are you going to stay up for Guadalajara? I am on my hoop. Absolutely no way. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, nah, you know, it's too, it's too late at night. I've got stuff to do tomorrow and it's just a preseason game and... You know, I, I love watching love watching the lads, you know, feel very sure. connected to them. They're great like great bunch of lads, all of them. I like like their footballing chops, but uh nah, no, no. Are you? No, I shouldn't be. No, no. I wanna as I say, gotta get this train or at least fail to get this train and suffer the consequences in a yeah. painful manner. Yeah. So uh, I won't be doing that. But no. um, did, you, what did, did you, you did you watch any of the highlights? I watched the highlights of the of the All Stars game. Mm. Um I mean, the, the, how hilariously predictable, of course, that Didier Drogba scored. Yeah, I mean, it is. It, it, you could just write the script. It's basically Rob Holding's induction into the sort of league of Arsenal defending, isn't it? You, you have to concede a goal to Didier Drogba. Well, I mean, it's good to get it out of the way nice and early. He can move on from here, um, you know, go out and loan to Aston Villa or somewhere like that, and then just eventually quit the game at 24. Exactly. Yeah, that's the, the the natural trajectory for him now. Apparently, he looked good. I didn't I didn't see an awful lot of him, but the people that that did see him um, said he was good. I'm reminded yeah. though a little bit of uh, preseason 2014. Remember when Callum Chambers joined mm. first? What is that noise? It's loud, isn't it? Yeah. Who's drilling? It's, a, it's either an earthquake or I don't know. It's not in my. It's not in this room. It could be a washing machine on another in another flat. Sounds Stop like now. drilling. Wow, weird. Anyway, well, it's very strange. It, I, gen, perhaps it was an earthquake and something untoward's happening. In this maybe and, uh, maybe it's Laurie. It. Could be Laurie trying to get in touch. He's he's calling to me. Yeah. He's calling to me somehow. He's desperate. He's using sonar to try and communicate <laughs> yeah. from southeast London. <laughs> like a really deep-voiced dolphin there, something like that. Yeah, bless Laurie. I bet he's lonely these days. Poor guy, poor guy. Anyway, I, I was saying I was sort of reminded a little bit about uh, pre-season 2014. Callum Chambers arrived and played some games at centre-half, didn't he? And he was really exciting and really he got stuck in, didn't he? He was making slide tackles and everyone was really very impressed with him uh, mm. in those in those uh, those 
those those first impressions that he made were were very uh, very good. And obviously, you know, here we are a couple of seasons later, and you know, he's still very much learning his trade. Um, so I guess we're probably looking at you know something similar to to Rob Holding, unless he is a, a central defensive. Uh, whiz if he's going to be, you know, develop a, a, at a very early age. It's one of those positions, though, isn't it, that y- you need to uh, you need to learn, you need to make the mistakes. Um, and I, I do wonder if, you know, a big club is exactly the right place to, to do that. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Arsene Wenger's been talking about his, his young centre-backs. He's got three of them, really, because he's got Chambers, uh, he's got Holding, I think are both 20, maybe Chambers is 21. And then he's got Christian Bielik, who's on on tour with the senior side. That's right. The ESPN commentator, uh, Andrew Allen, pointed out to me the other day, he stayed up. He got drunk and stayed up and watched the, the, the San Jose game. Fair play And to the him. commentator on the, the television <laughs> said, Christian Bielik, they call him the new Patrick Vieira. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you can certainly see the resemblance. Yeah, but who, I... <laughs> who called him that? Who ever called him that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Someone... Uh, that's just bewildering, isn't it? And also, he's, he's not even playing in midfield and hasn't done for about two years. So. Yeah, that's right. Arsene um, Wenger saying he's retraining him as a, a central defender because of the way he's he's uh, good on the ball. He wants that's what he wants from his central defenders. Yeah, and it, but he intimated Arsene Wenger. He said that we've got three young central defenders, and I want to see who is closest to uh, potentially challenging for that position before making any decisions about loans. So I do wonder if. Certainly at least one of that three will be mm. going out on loan before the season starts. For sure. Actually, yeah. And of course, uh, since we last spoke, we've had the, the news about Per Mertesacker, uh, his injury. Yes, about as surprising as if, I don't know, I were to die on the train tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Not very. Yeah, Arsenal captain. To a major player. Yeah, suffers, suffers injury. Who, who could have foreseen that? Uh, a bit of blow, obviously, uh, for him and a for us. Big blow. How bad do we think it is? Well, he's saying he's not expecting him back until next year. So nice. we're looking at, what, August, September, October, November, December. So five months out, at least, uh, assuming that there are no complications or, or anything like that. Um, so you're looking well, at... I mean, that's quite the assumption yeah, <laughs> with Arsenal, of course. <laughs> it certainly is. Uh, so, yeah, you, you're looking at him making a comeback at some point in 2017. So in the very short term or in the medium term, obviously, uh, it, it leaves us requiring a, a central defender, something that uh, many of us would have liked the, the club to do anyway um, but obviously the need now to bring in somebody experienced is is even greater yes it is I mean it's pretty much imperative now it's uh, sort of disorientating to watch the our priorities kind of shift uh, as the window approaches a close mm-hmm. because now you know Arsene's been quite plain that he's going to try and bring in some experienced cover at centre half. It's, I, I guess it's more than cover, isn't it, that we need now? Uh, yeah, I think now when you're looking at it, when uh, Permer de Sacker is 31, is he, and he's mm-hmm. in the final year of his contract, there don't appear to be any moves towards offering him a new deal. I think there were some stories towards the end of last season that uh, that, that he and and the club were content to let the deal. Well, maybe he's not content, but th- this was what was going to happen: that the deal was going to it was going to run down, and and he'd be allowed move on. Um, but I think, you know, when you look at the age profile of the, the central defenders we have, I think Lauren Koscielny's 31. Is he 30? He's going to be 31 very soon if he's not already. 
Right, um, around that area. Yeah, so, you know, you're looking then at a bit of a gap. You've got sort of those two experienced guys. You've got Gabrielle, who's 25, 26, I suppose, and then you've got the young guys, uh, Chambers and Holding and, and what have you. So I think there's a, there's a need to, to sort of readjust or to rebuild the squad in that area a little bit. So if you were looking to bring in somebody who's got a good few years of first-team football under his belt, 24, 25 years of age, uh, you know, you've, that's an experienced enough central defender, I think. But you've also got somebody who can be there, provided you get the right player. You've got somebody who can be there uh, for the foreseeable future for the next five or six seasons, which I think is what you want. Um, you know, if you're looking to buy somebody, you, you want somebody uh, who, who can do a job over a number of seasons. I don't think you want to be looking at a 33, 34-year-old guy to come in and just play a season uh, because you still have to address that issue next summer. So I think um, if, if it's forced the hand a little bit, maybe we've got targets that we've identified. There's, there's some names out there, aren't there? There's the, the German guy, Mustafi. Um, yeah, Valencia. Uh, Valencia, and who else? Well, Johnny Evans from West I Brom. Mean, do, we, do we buy that? I mean... I don't know. I don't know. Um, you wouldn't put it past us, would you? No, I mean, you it's... really wouldn't. I mean, I think that's the thing. You you would say, no, that's not the guy. I don't think Johnny Evans is a really bad player or anything like that. He's not, like a, bad he's not a bad player. He's certainly no Silvestre. I don't think he's anywhere near uh, that sort of level. I think he's a, a pretty decent player, but not the guy that you would want to be anchoring your, your central defense for the next uh, four or five years. You know, he moved from Manchester United to West Brom, and I think that's probably tells you what you need to know there. So... Uh, a couple of links to some young Belgian players as well, weren't there? Bjorn Engels. Yeah. And the guy at Man City, Jason Denayer. Denayer. That's Denayer. it, yeah. Uh, from, from what I've heard, there definitely is some interest in uh, in Engels, right. character. But, oh, yeah. But he's, he's, he's quite young. I he's, mean, he's 21, just... but he's tall. He's like 6'3", six, 6'4", six, something like that. Right, okay. So maybe maybe that's where he's going, you know? I don't know, yeah, I guess, if you're looking for a kind of like-for-like, like, I suppose, for Mertzsacker. But yeah. it's... Uh, the Mustafi one's interesting. That's the one that's been the most noise around. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, they're talking about about 30 million quid, something like that. I mean, Everything costs 30 million quid these days. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you want. If you're a Premier League club <laughs> and you go in and go, we'll have a pint of milk, please, it's 30 million quid. Yeah. Because everyone knows Premier League clubs are, are absolutely, you know, uh, filled with cash. So I think that's the reality. I think that Valencia said they'd be willing to let him go for 25 million euros, which in the current market seems like a fucking bargain. I suppose so, yeah. You know. um, do you think there was always going to be a signing of that ilk this summer, a centre-half with that kind of price, or do you think this has all been accelerated by the Mertesacker injury? I think it's been accelerated. Yeah. I do, although, in fairness to him, before Mertesacker was injured, he was talking about uh, offensive and defensive uh, additions. Mm. But we don't quite know what he means by that. You know, he might have... It was quite vague, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, he could be looking for a backup right back. He could be looking for somebody to, you know, to come in at left back and let Kieran Gibbs go. I don't know. I mean, we we just know uh, when he says he's looking for defenders uh, that uh, he's looking for defenders. We don't know exactly where. But I suspect, my suspicion is that the Mertesacker injury has, has forced the hand a little bit here. And we're going to have to we're going to have to make a decision about who it is that we want and, and go out and pay the money and, and get them. Um, something which we don't appear to be doing um much of at the moment no it doesn't look too good i mean the mm. other thing is I, I don't know the exact timeline but i think he he said that about offensive and defensive positions on the 23rd and mm. i think murtzaka's injury was made public on the 26th so right possible he had an inkling already i don't know yeah yeah maybe maybe um uh, yeah i uh my one worry about it is you know 
I, I think so. I going into the window thought Arsenal needed to buy a centre half because mm. it looked to me as if Arsene Wenger wasn't particularly convinced by either Perma Saka or Gabriel Palista mm. um, last season. You know, he was he kind of alternated them a little bit. They yeah. each had a run in the side. It's clear Koscielny's first choice, but not necessarily clear who should play alongside him. So I think there is a room potentially for an upgrade. My slight worry is, you know, if you have to go and spend that sum of money on a first-team player, does it impinge upon the other business you might be able to do in this no, world? No, 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 no. No way. You think no? I think no. I think we could spend €25 million uh, euro on a central defender and it still wouldn't impact our ability to bring in a striker. What, a or a £40 million pound striker? Yeah, absolutely. No, there's no way that we uh, uh, that that would stretch our finances to the limits. Absolutely. Oh, I don't not. think it would stretch our finances. I don't think it would stretch the bank balance. I wonder if it would stretch <laughs> Arsene's comfort. Well, maybe yeah, because I mean he did spend thirty odd million pounds on Granite Xhaka as well, yeah. so it would be a huge outlay. But look. That's it. That's the reality of it. You know, if you want, if you want a striker, if you want a central defender, this is what the market says they cost. So you either you either go for them or you don't, and then suffer the consequences, or be prepared at least for the consequences if you don't. Um, you know, every time we concede a goal, we should have bought a centre half. Every time we don't win a game or draw a game, you should have bought a striker. And there's, that, that will be the story. That will be uh, the narrative, so to speak, of the season uh, if you don't go and do that. Now, um, whether Arsene Wenger is prepared to do that or not, I'm not sure. I was watching um, a video from. From Robbie from Arsenal Fan TV, uh, who said that he'd spoken to Ivan Gazidis and Ivan Gazidis was uh, assuring him that the club are very serious about bringing in a striker. They know they need a striker. They know they need a central defender. They're very serious about doing it. Um, and that's what he told him. He didn't give him any names. Obviously, it wasn't any specifics in that regard. Um, you know, do we take that at face value? I mean, Arsene Wenger is saying we need a striker and we need we need offensive and defensive positions. Ivan Gazidis is saying we need a, a striker, we need a central defender. I mean, do we take them at face value? I mean, we, I think we kind of have to, do we? Do we assume yeah. that they're looking and that they're prepared to do it, that they're not just saying this to, to keep people quiet? Because I think, you know, there's been a lot of talk. A lot of talk about stuff recently, and, you know, Ivan Gazidis has had plenty to say, and Arsene Wenger has had plenty to say, and, you know, I think people are at the point now where they, they don't want to hear them talk about it anymore, they kind of just want to see them do it. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right there. Uh, I mean, I, I think that we have to take them at their word. I mean, was it, had, when we last spoke, had Arsenal's official offer for Lacazette been made public I can't remember to be honest with you no I think no I think that was about five days ago so you know we don't know exactly when that bid went in but that's evidence there that they are at least trying I mean I feel when I say that I sense the Arsenal fans sort of put their head to their hands because we've all heard the story of so many summers where we've tried and failed to bring the players we need in but yeah surely I mean it's been a fascinating couple of weeks in terms of the kind of public dialogue that's played out between Wenger it's and Gazidis. It's really weird. I think it's been really weird. Like, Gazidis has obviously gone out and he's had this message. We spoke about this a bit last week, but, I mean, he's, he's trying to, like, put across this message about, um, you know, how the Premier League has changed, how the mm. dynamics between clubs have changed. And, you know, a lot of what he says is common sense, mm. and it's quite reasonable as, you know. But then there's there's this 
stuff in it that makes you just go, just stop, just stop, 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 stop. Stop yeah. talking about what other clubs can do. Stop talking about what how difficult it is. You know, don't, just don't. Nobody cares. All that people care about is that Arsenal do what, uh, you know, they do the best that they can, you know? Yeah, and it's absolutely. been sort of, I think it's been a bit strange. The, um, you know, do you see the quotes today? Um, that Arsene Wenger, he said... I have uh, to sort of calm Gazidis down. Was that the one? That's about? it, yeah. He says, uh, you know, I work, I work every day with Ivan. Believe me, he is highly motivated to bring players in. Sometimes, sometimes I have to calm him down. I believe this is a period where everybody wants to dream and transfers bring dreams. But then he says, <laughs> but we live in a realistic world, and part of our job as well is to rate the players we have inside the club. One of the values of our club is to give chances to players who deserve it. So there's your like, oh, right, okay, you know, they're so excited about transfers. But also, if you look over there, just to your left, you will see Yaya Sanogo. <laughs> <laughs> and Christian Bielek hanging Christian out. Bielek. Christian Bielek, by the way, did, yeah, did you hear? He is the, he's the new Patrick Vieira. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It does feel very strange. I don't, I mean, to be honest, what Wenger says today tallies more with what my interpretation of Gazidis has been over the past couple of years, that, that he's been quite eager to get business done, but hasn't always necessarily uh, been able to convince the manager of the, the value or necessity of certain players. That's mm. been my in, my impression from the outside of the club. Yeah. Um, what's interesting and what's difficult to understand is why he's taken such a different public tack this season because in the past he's almost seemed to apply pressure to the manager by insisting we would and could spend big yeah yeah uh, one wonders maybe there's a directive from even even higher than Arsene Wenger I don't yeah. know who knows is there anything higher than Arsene Wenger in the world of Arsenal <laughs> no probably not I don't Danny Welbeck's so. hair on a good day <laughs> um, right well I mean look I think you know if they keep saying it and keep saying it I, you know they're digging themselves into a hole, aren't they? If they don't do it, so I think they're they've got to a point where they the expectation of them doing what they say they're going to do is so high. Even if they didn't want to, I think they've got no choice but to do sure. it now. But I also think that they probably do want to. I just worry a little bit about the the dynamics of the market having an impact on what it is that we exactly do, if, if you know what I mean. So he might say, yes, I need a, a central defender and I need a striker. And people are thinking, well, he's going to spend 30 million on a central defender and 50 million on a striker. Maybe it'll be, <laughs> maybe it'll be a little bit less than that. I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I have to see. But um, I guess, I guess they're working hard. And as soon as we sign somebody, you'll be the first to know. You will indeed. I mean, in my head, you know, obviously they've got four weeks remaining in the window, um, but it's two weeks till the start of the season, and I think that absence of Mertesacker makes that defender signing all the more important, really. I mm. think the quicker they can get that done, the better. Yeah, he did say, he was asked if he expected to sign a defender before the start of the season. He said, yes, I do. So that would give sounds you... Confident. Sounds relatively confident, doesn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, that, wouldn't, that makes you wonder if something is in yeah, the pipeline. Yeah. All right. Anything else um, catch your eye this week? I was trying to think, really. The, the Jeff got a promotion. He got a promotion to the first team squad. He did. He did. Has he got a shiny new squad number? I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. One imagines he might do. Yeah. Um, 
What else? Pogba went through, obviously, the world record. Has that gone through yet? I don't think was so. It agreed. Oh, no, it wasn't. You're right. You're right. Yeah. I've made that up completely. Yeah. It was all the press went with it saying it was done, and then the agent came out and said it's all fabrications and lies. Yeah. The, the Italian English press are waging a war yeah. to see who can come out on top. But, yeah. Um, there was, I mean, there were quotes um, going around today about Arsene Wenger and you know, headlines saying, uh, that the 100 million transfer fee was completely crazy. And this is the headline. Um, he says, it is completely crazy if you cannot afford to pay it. If you can afford to pay it, you can justify it. And he says, it's completely crazy if you compare it to, to normal life. Uh, and he says, but we live in a world where every activity that uh, is worldwide makes a lot of money, obviously talking about, uh, you know, how much money is sloshing around the world of football. So, I mean, I think by any objective view, paying £100 million for a footballer, £20 million of which or £25 million of which is going to go to the agent, or maybe that £25 million is on top of that as well. I mean, just it's, it's an outrageously ridiculous bananas amount of money. It is completely crazy. But I think that Wenger's been done... A little bit of a disservice there in terms of the way that those quotes have been represented. You know, it's completely yeah. crazy if you compare it to normal life. Please, somebody tell me how you can argue with that in any way. Of course not. I, in fact, I'm sort of curiously encouraged by his quotes there because it sounds like he at least has an appreciation of the, the way the, the market is changing. You know? Yeah. And, um, he's, not, he's, not, he's, he's saying it's only crazy... Well, it's, cra- it's crazy irrespective, isn't it? From our, from our point of view, as normal people in that normal life, it's completely crazy. But United can afford it. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe they can't afford it. I'm kind of hoping that they can't really afford it and that somehow they go bankrupt. Well, that would be lovely. That would be amazing. If they did a Leeds, imagine if they did a Leeds. Oh, that would be superb. Would be I mean, that would be super. even better than Leeds doing a Leeds, to be honest. <laughs> and that was fun enough, let me tell you. That was, that was pretty fun, but, mm. you know. Uh, a, a whole new generation deserved to see another club do a lead, <laughs> and it should be United. With Mourinho, uh, the rat will leave that sinking ship while you're ahead of that. But, uh, oh, he'd be off in a hurry. Yeah, for sure. All right. Will will that do us for, for part one, do you think? Yeah, I imagine so. Okay. Well, let's uh, take a short break, and we'll come back with some questions and other stuff right after this. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is the part of the show where we take the questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at Arsblog, and also on the Arsblog Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog. Uh, you can leave some questions on there too when we uh, start a thread about it. And uh, yeah, we do our best to answer the questions and look at the questions and make some sense of the questions, even though not all of the questions always make sense, which is a good yeah. thing. I think that's good. You need variety. I think that's fine. You, you want some that make sense and some yeah. that make no sense at all. And Absolutely. It's the same with the answers. You want some that are good and some that are complete nonsense. Yeah. What the this hell are they This is also on? the part of the show where we would discuss those Audis potentially next week. Yes, for sure. I would definitely be talking about my Audi A7 or A6. I mean, I, still, I can't tell the difference yeah. between them. They're just, you know, it's not If only possible. there was some way. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll keep you up to date on, on those things. Sure. So, look, do you want to go first? I will go first. Okay, you have the honor. Uh, thank you very much for giving it to me. So, uh, this question, <laughs> the honor, I mean. The question uh, yeah. comes from Ali Wood at AliBoy82. Uh, and he asks, do you think 
that Gazidis publicly stating we cannot compete with City, United, Chelsea, etc., may create a self-fulfilling prophecy where the best players will not want to join us and we are perceived as a club who cannot compete. That is a fucking brilliant question. Mm, I think that's a really good question. And that's part of my... That's why uh, the, the comments have irked me so much. Because... You know, so much about the way you're perceived or the way that you're viewed is in, you know, how you act, what you do, what your reputation is, what your ambition is. And I, you know, three years ago, Ivan Gazeta saying, we can do things which will excite you. We could go and buy Wayne Rooney. We could do more than that. You know, when these new commercial deals come in, we, we can compete with the likes of Bayern Munich. This is what he said. I, I fucking like that. Now, he could have been talking, or probably is, as uh, evidence has pointed out, but, you know, complete and utter bollocks, right? Mm. But I liked the ambition of it. I liked what it said about us. It liked what it said about the club and, and where we wanted to go and what we wanted to be and what we wanted to become with the financial firepower, or with this, you know, uh, boost of finances. So I think, yeah, I, you know, you would worry that if... All of a sudden, you're playing yourself down. You're saying, well, we're kind of poor relation. We can't compete financially with these clubs. Do, do, you know, players will say, well, can they compete with wages? Okay, maybe they can. Maybe they can't offer me what I want. Or can they compete for the big trophies? Can they compete for the best players to win the big trophies? I think, you know, there is an overall perception of, of those kind of quotes. So I don't know if it would have like an, uh, an effect um, a tangible effect that we could measure in any way. Um, you know, I don't know that, that, that there's any way that we could do that. But I think if you go out and you start talking a bit conservatively and you're a bit cautious and you're a bit like, mm, you know, mm, yeah, maybe. Mm. But if you go out and say, yes, we can win the Premier League, we can use the money that we have to buy the best players in the world and bring them in and we can win the Premier League and we can win the Champions League. You know, what's the worst that happens? You end up with a bit of egg on your face. But I think that egg is far preferable to the egg where you say, we're going to be hugely ambitious. We are an extraordinarily ambitious club. And three years later, you're, you're playing poor mouth and you're saying, well, no, they're all, they're all still much richer than we are and we can't compete. <laughs> I think that's worse egg to have in your face than at least going, being a bit upfront and, and, and chest thumping and going for it. People will forgive that, won't, won't they, you know? Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you entirely. I think it's a really good question and a really good point. And it, it is, that's why it's so strange in every respect from a public relations angle. First of all, because you know it's going to irritate the fans. You know it's going to annoy people who are close to the club, attached to the club. But second of all, I think it damages the public perception of the club from people who aren't associated with it. If you're a player, you want to hear that, <laughs> that a club believes they can be the best that they can take anyone on. And really, yeah. there's no reason for Arsenal to not. I mean, obviously there are a couple of clubs out there who've got unlimited wealth, but in terms of those who don't, Arsenal are really right at the very top of the list in terms of their financial muscle. And they... How, how many times have we said it? Arsenal are a massive club, but they could do with behaving a, a bit more like one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you don't have to be a you know, cunt about the whole thing. You can, you can just... You know, yeah, I mean, that wasn't the whole point of the, the stadium to build the club into one that could compete with the huge, the prestigious clubs in Europe, like Barcelona, like Real Madrid, you know, uh, uh, Bayern Munich, uh, with Manchester United from a financial point of view, because we were so far behind them. And I think, you know, mm. we always will be to a certain extent, and we will always... We will always fall behind uh, the likes of Real Madrid, Barcelona, you know, when it comes to prestige. 
Like sure. if a player has a choice between, well, actually, Robert Perez. Robert Perez had the choice between Real Madrid and Arsenal when he joined that summer. Real Madrid were also after him. And he chose Arsenal. So, you know, there were obviously connections there. But I think nine times out of ten, a player is going to choose one of those clubs. And, you know, to that extent, you can't compete. But, you know, there's no way, uh, there's no reason why Arsenal couldn't do more and couldn't be a bit more aggressive or a bit more self-confident about what it is. And that's, you know, I just feel sometimes like there's this inherent built-in fear we're so risk averse that we feel like making a mistake in the transfer market is is the worst thing that could possibly happen and we've made mistakes all the time yeah you know we do it of course making a 60 million pound mistake is a lot different from making a six million pound mistake but a six million pound mistake when that six million pounds is really really valuable to you is just as bad right now, when you've got sixty million pounds, oh, you okay? Could spend sixty million pounds, blah. But you get another sixty million, whatever you get next year from Sky. You know, it's not it's not ideal, but you know, you're not going to ruin the club, no, in any way. It. So you lose you lose a bit of money, but I mean, mm. it's not going to it's not going to be dramatic. I mean, the biggest mistake we've made at sometimes has been has been to spend no money. You know, yeah. Um, Rather than spend uh, those big amounts. Yeah, so- and, and also this idea that you have to be flawless in the transfer market. Every single club buys players that don't work out. You know, all the big clubs have done it. They all do it and will continue to do it. And it happens not just to big clubs, but smaller clubs as well. They'll buy players for whatever reason. It just doesn't work out. And that's one of the just the risks that's built into the transfer market itself. And I you, agree with you. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's frustrating is that people talk about trying to extract value, and, and I understand that. But a, a transfer is always speculative. You never know how a player's going to settle. You can never guarantee what you're going to get from them. And even clubs who, you know, Arsene Wenger's talked a lot this summer about Leicester and how efficient they've been in the, in the transfer market over the past couple of years. But it wasn't too long ago they broke their transfer record to bring in Kramerich who, for like £13 million, which at the time was an awful lot of money for them, yeah. and he had no impact at all, and I think was eventually yeah. allowed to leave on loan or for some you know, small fee. You, you have to gamble. Part of being active in the transfer market is to, is to spend money in the knowledge that not everything will be perfect. Yeah. Not everything will work out as planned. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes as a club we feel like what well, any player we bring in has to be that Goldilocks effect. You know, it has yeah. to be just right. The reality is it's probably more effective to bring in a slightly broader spectrum of players in the knowledge that, you know, some will, will work out better than others. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that's, a, yeah, I think it's a really good question that, and, you know, uh, it, we could see the club make a statement between now and the end of the transfer window, which would transform, not transform, but maybe change the perception of the way that we do business. If it comes right there, if we sign another couple of 30 million pound players, between now and the end of the transfer window or now and the start of the season, then, you know, we'll have brought in three players, more or less, uh, you know, uh, some of the highest transfer fees that Arsene Wenger has ever paid, Mm -hmm. you know? So we'll wait and see. But, yeah, I think we could be just a bit more more confident about who we are and what we've got and what we can do rather than kind of always talk about how, well, FPP didn't work out and other clubs have got oligarchs and other clubs have got more money. You know, don't worry about them. Do what, you, do what we can do and do it as well as we can. Be we my should thinking. definitely, definitely be more bullish, I think, yeah. in the way we, we yeah. talk about the club. For sure. Um, that was a great question. Your, your turn. Okay. Uh, all right. My question comes from uh, at Gingino. 
Uh, and uh, they say, views on Ashley Williams going to Everton for £10 million? I would have taken him to AFC three years ago, potentially a captain too. What do you think of Ashley Williams? Wow, OK, well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that happening? Is that on to £10 million? Or is that just a rumour? I, I don't know. Seems to be, it. but... OK. Well, look, I think it's... Uh... I'm just going to say it's a lot of money. It's just not anymore, is it? <laughs> it seems like a lot for a 31-year-old, but I guess as a centre-half, he's got a few years left. Yeah. He's a player who, a few years ago, I too actually uh, admired considerably. I think when Swansea first came up into the Premier League, he was very impressive in the way he acclimatised, but I'm not sure his Premier League performances over the intervening period have been so good that I'm crying out for him to be at Arsenal. I mean, what, he's been good for Wales and he was decent enough in the uh, the Euros, but he was mainly, when I saw him on the ball, lumping out of the field. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's played the technical style at Swansea, but I, I'm i not convinced he's the man we need to replace, replace Mertesacker. What about you? Yeah, I I would be much the same. Certainly, the, was it the England game? Where he yeah, just literally, every time the ball came to him, he just fucking hoofed it right back down the other end. So maybe that's what he was told to do. Uh, I think it might have been, to be honest, but yeah. Yeah, I think he's okay, but like, yeah, not not the player that we need. I think if people, people complain about some of the... the uh, the issues our, our current centre halves have, I think Ashley Williams uh, would only frustrate them in, in much the same way. Although, we have to remember that time where he nearly killed Robin Van Persie. Yes, of course. Uh, and we should honour him for that. We certainly should. Well, listen, Statue outside the ground, do you think? I think he's due one. Herbert Chapman, Tony Adams, Thierry Henry, Ashley Williams. Yeah, do it. We need to get that DRB statue as well of him kicking John Terry's head off. <laughs> <laughs> what would it be made out of? Bolsa wood? I don't, yeah, know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, candy floss. Yeah. <laughs> First rain and it's gone. Just drifts away. Um, well, listen, on a similar subject, Thomas, who's at Faux Pastom on Twitter, says, would you consider not signing a centre-back? Don't worry, that's not the end of the question. Um, and giving Callum Chambers a run in the side alongside Koscielny? Look, I think we need to sign a central defender. Um, I'm not as down on Callum Chambers as a lot of people seem to be. I think he's I think he's potentially a really good player. Now We've I realize already, yeah, yeah. I realize that I've got, <laughs> I've got a little bit of form here when it comes to, to liking central defenders uh and perhaps they're not quite uh, as good as I thought they were. That that's happened no. to me in the past. I, mean, I, I hold my hands up on that. We we all believed in, in young Philippe, but none more <laughs> so than you. It's true. It's true, but hey you know what can you do? Um, but I think you know Chambers is still very young. I think he's a, I think he's a good tackler. I think he's decent on the ball. You know maybe just suffers a little bit because he's not especially quick. But uh, you know you don't have to be hugely quick to be a very good central defender. It it helps for mm-hmm. recovery. But what's better is to be in the right position and not get caught out as as much. Um, and that comes down to organization and all those kind of things. Um, I think, though, it would probably be it would probably be too much of a risk to start him with with Koscielny, um and give him a, a long run in the team. I th- my gut feeling is that he needs to go away on loan and and play a, a full season somewhere 
or play more regularly than he would do at Arsenal. So let's say we've got we've got what's the pecking order as it stands? Koscielny, Gabriel, Chambers, Holding, Bielik. I think that's Debushi or Monreal filling in, right? So at the moment, yeah. that's the pecking order. If we bring in a, another central defender, that's going to be a guy who's going to go. I would suggest ahead of Gabriel in the pecking order. Mm-hmm. So you're bringing in somebody to play alongside Koscielny. So that puts Chambers back at fourth choice. Um, fourth choice centre-halves generally don't play a huge amount of football um, because you, once you've got a good partnership at central uh, in the centre of your defence, you don't want to change it too much. You don't tend to rotate central defenders the way you would with wingers or even strikers. Um, so th- they don't get a chance to play very much. I know he could get some games at right back as well. But I think for him to develop into the player that we want him to be, or certainly the player that Arsene Wenger believed he could be when he paid £16 million for him a couple of summers ago, um, which when you think about it is a lot of money for Arsene Wenger to spend on a young player, um, who won the highest transfer fees uh, until we did the the Ozil Alexis Sanchez thing. Um, so... My my gut feeling is that he needs to go out somewhere on loan and that the new centre-half that we bring in will be the guy who plays alongside Koscielny. And Chambers will will go somewhere and hopefully he'll come back and, and be ready to, to properly compete for a first-team place. Yeah, I mean, they've been linked with clubs like Watford. I think someone someone like that would be great. I think just the regularity of football would be really valuable to him. Um, something that strikes me as well about Mustafi is that I think he's played... Just jumping up to a potential transfer target, I think he's played at right back as well uh, for the German national team on a couple of occasions. So potentially he also, like Chambers, gives you that ability to cover fullback as well as centre half. So mm. that could make him particularly appealing yeah. to Wenger if Chambers is going to go out on loan. Yeah, and then it's like, what do we do for a backup right back? Because I, I reckon Debussy will want to go. Yeah, as well. So we'll have, we'll have to see. Still some issues, you know the the tweaks. Um, obviously the big things that we need to do bring in a central defender bring in a striker maybe bring in another forward but then the the little bits and pieces of the squad uh, that happened towards the end of the transfer window I think will be interesting I think there'll be some outward action uh, as we, we streamline a little bit so yeah seems like Chesney is one who's going to be going for sure yeah I saw Chesney put a picture up on Instagram this evening um, I did it now he did and uh, maybe I'm reading far too much into this but it's a picture of him well it's not a picture of him it's a picture of his what appears to be his garden i'm just gonna get it up here yeah is perfect sunday afternoon at home getting ready for the hard work ahead and he's got just basically a gigantic fire pit so i assume he's gonna like cook some some roast meats but i'm wondering is that like is that england is it is looks quite green so it could be england rather than it's not like he stood in in Rome. No, know, he's, he's no, he's not there. No, no. So maybe it's just a very subtle hint. Maybe you've got to be uh, an expert in in uh, in plants or shrubs to be able to identify where exactly it is. So we'll see. But yeah, he's certainly one. He's certainly one who could go. Okay, here's a question from Michael, who is at Trouble in the Sky. And he wants to know, would the board dare to go in with a bid for a player with a price tag that Arsene Wenger deemed too expensive? Wow, that's such a good question. That's such a good question, I think. Because if you had a director of football, for example, uh, and you worked with them on identifying targets, and you were just a coach, you would probably have 
quite limited input, wouldn't you, in, in terms yeah. of what actually transfer fees were paid. That is not the case at Arsenal, as was made absolutely clear by that fascinating radio piece with Kim Chelstrom. Um, the degree to which Arsenal has the final say on all things transfer-related. Uh, if you didn't read that, because I or, or mm. listened to it, I guess, in its original version. Um, oh, yeah, that was brilliant, actually. Yeah, you can find it on Reddit. Yeah, that's it. It's on Reddit. And basically he says that he talks about his Arsenal medical and two physios basically saying, well, your back's broken in three places. There's no way this club can sign you. And Arsene Wenger remaining silent saying, well, we are going to sign him. And no one questioning his authority at mm. all because ultimately it is his decision. And it's it's always the way in the transfer market. I mean, I was speaking to someone this week at the club who was talking to me about uh, Dick Law, you know, the sort of kind of chief negotiator at Arsenal and the the relatively limited amount of authority that he has as compared to Arsene. Mm. And I guess even even Ivan Gazidis um, can't execute, you know, transfer negotiations without the manager's approval. So I don't know. I, can I see them going sort of above his head with a bid that he would consider a, a too high? <sighs> Only in desperate circumstances. All right. Do you want a, do you want a little anecdote here? Yeah, please. Okay, I was I was told that the Granite Xhaka fee was higher than Arsene Wenger wanted to pay. It was higher than he would have liked, right? Uh, I'm sure it was higher than he would have liked. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and maybe just in terms of, you know, what his perceived value of the player was. Mm. It was higher than he wanted. But whether, I don't know how it came about, um, but maybe they just convinced him. Maybe they just said, look... You you want the player, and you want to pay X amount. Well, look, the club will pay the money to get him because you you want the player. So I think there is perhaps a little bit of wiggle room there, in the sense that maybe Arsene Wenger can be convinced that okay, they want ten million pounds more or five million pounds more than you want to pay. We'll pay it. You don't actually have to pay it, Arsene. You don't have to go down to the ATM. Sure. And take out like a bundle of notes. You don't have to pay. Arsenal will pay it. So yeah, I think okay. that perhaps there is now, particularly now that there is, you know, a, a gigantic amount of cash in the club that perhaps they're they're better able to make him more flexible about it. If you know what I mean. Whereas, Look. but in the past, where where money was a bit tighter or where we had to be a bit more clever with the money, then he wasn't prepared to to push the boat out. Now, now perhaps he is. Well, it suited the club to abide by Wenger's valuations at the time, you know, because they yeah. didn't have this kind of excess cash. Uh, if if that is the case, I'm, you know, I, I'm going to choose to be, call me a crazy optimist, encouraged by that, because I think, to be honest, that's m maybe what's required to get deals done. Yeah. I'm not convinced Arsene Wenger thinks Alexandra Lacazette is worth 45 million quid, but I think it might cost 45 million quid to buy him. Yeah. And if Arsenal need a striker, that might be what has to happen. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I always remember back in 2013, just before deadline day, Arsenal were playing Spurs, I believe it was, and he was asked about if they were going to bring anyone in. They, at that point, they'd only signed Flamini after after Gazidis had made all those noises about the financial power mm. of the club. And he said, we're prepared to spend uh, a bit above what we consider the market value if we can get the right player. And that resulted in the £42.5 million signing of Mesut Ozil. I think that was in part, I think that probably is more than Arsene Wenger probably wanted to pay. And I think that happened probably because of the kind of desperation and the expectation around the club. And mm. so that exists again this year.
And as time ticks on, I think they will probably have to uh, have to increase what they're prepared to pay. I, yeah. I sort of wonder if we're we're in a period now where bids for players have been made at a value that Arsenal was comfortable with. <laughs> it feels like quite a lot of those bids haven't worked out for various reasons. <laughs> and now we're entering a, a second stage where it's like, okay, having assessed the options, having looked at who else might be out there, yeah, what are we prepared to go back with? Yeah. Uh, and let's hope he is prepared to be flexible. Yeah, I think, you know, needs must when it comes right down to it. You've, if you need the player, pay what it takes. You know, mm. that's I think I think that's where we are, and I think... Um, there well, probably that's what Arsenal is. says. Yeah. If you can afford it, and we can afford it. Yeah, absolutely. That's the that's the key line. I think that's the key line to take away from that. If you can afford it, it's completely... Uh, if you can afford it, you can justify it. And if we can afford, even if we're paying a bit more than he might like, we can still justify it. You know, we're not scratching down the back of the sofa for two peas. So, so there you go. So there. Not quite. Uh, another question? Yeah. So this one, um, we talked about... This question comes from Steve's Missing on Twitter. Oh, I hope it? they find him. I think we all do. Um, now, we talked about his nipples earlier on, oh. but he asks, what role do you see Santi Cazorla having in the forthcoming season? That's really interesting. But good questions tonight. It's Really good questions. It's difficult, isn't it? Because I don't quite know what he's got planned for his midfield. So obviously he's brought Granite Xhaka in, and you would think that having paid that much money for Granite Xhaka that he is going to be a first-choice player. Yes. So is I he think gonna... it's safe to assume that Mesut yeah. Ozil is going to be a first-choice player Absolutely, as well. Absolutely, right? yeah. So is he, is is Xhaka going to be part of like a, uh, a midfield duo, I guess? A, a sort of a deep-lying Perhaps Yeah, that's midfield certainly been duo? the shape of late, hasn't it, in the last couple of years primarily? Yeah. Um, so, so I mean, is it, is it, is it my, my gut feeling, right? Is that he wants to play Xhaka and Aaron Ramsey together. Um, I think so as well. I think so as well. I think that will be his ideal starting point for his midfield. So Ramsey, Xhaka and Mesut Ozil as the midfield three, then you're two wide men, obviously you're, you're striker. So that, that's just my gut feeling on it. Um, we know that obviously as seasons go on, things can develop in different ways or, or the midfield might take on a different shape. Um, so what role does Santi Cazorla have? <sighs> Substitute, I guess, to start with. Maybe when Ramsey is, you know, is going to take a week or two to get back into the team. So maybe Cazorla and Xhaka, is that, is that a reasonable midfield duo to start the season with? Or, let's face it, Mesut is going to be out of action for a couple of weeks as well. Do you play Cazorla yeah. in that role and put Xhaka with uh, Coquelin or Elneny or, or Jack Wilshire? You know, so I think w- what's going to happen with the midfield this season is really, really interesting. Because we actually have so many potential options. And I think the midfield uh, players that we have... It's f- there's really good selection of central midfield players when you look at the squad. Um, so it's going to be very, very interesting to see exactly what he does with it and how he does it. Uh, but I think, you know, obviously the proof will be in the pudding. We'll have to wait and see um, uh, how it plays out. But, yeah, uh, my, my gut feeling is that when everyone's fit ha, or available, uh, that 
Xhaka, Ramsey and, and Ozil would be his first choice? Cazorla, of course, has played most of his recent football for us as a kind of deep line midfielder. Mm. But prior to that, was playing either at number ten or, or left wing. You know, scoring goals, creating assists. He did say, didn't he? Doesn't really have the legs for for the wide role. Has he anymore. now said that? Yeah, you, yeah. I was going to ask, would you ever consider him for those more attacking positions these days? Um, maybe. I mean, certainly he wouldn't be he wouldn't be out of his depth there. But yeah. it would obviously have an impact on the way we play. I mean, he's not going to be the guy who's going to go down outside the fullback and whip in crosses, is he? So it would it would probably make us quite narrow, depending mm-hmm. which side that he was he was playing from. But yeah, I mean, he could, and I think he's going to play a, a good role this season, Santi Cazorla. Um, but I do wonder if, in the long term, you know, he's not by the end of the season, uh, you know, a first choice, first team player. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. I think. Uh, you know, you said yourself when everyone's fit. I mean, that's not going to be the case, is it? So he'll get plenty of football, I'm sure. Um, another interesting one, I think, next season is going to be Mohamed El Nenny. You know, he had mm. such a massive impact in the second half of last season. But was that? It's difficult to discern entirely if that's because of his quality or just because the midfield was in such a mess at yeah. the time. You know, he started uh, most of the games, didn't he? Once he came in and once he started playing, yeah. he, he he started pretty much all the games and looked good. So I mm. mean, again. You know, maybe it's a thing that we're, he's looking at the amount of options that he has and the quality that he has in there, that the competition in some way might define the midfield. Mm. That you've got guys who are, who are really hungry to play and are going to have to play really well when they get a chance. So maybe it's, well, it uh, maybe seems it's like a healthy thing. thing. Mm. Yeah. All right. Here's a question from Tony Kent at 2-0 Down, who wants to know, how would you rate the Eddie Howe story on the Pooh-ometer? Yes, yeah, so I, I had this question noted down as well. The Eddie Howe story, as far as I'm aware, was that simply that he was being discussed as a, a potential successor. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. I didn't really read it because it was in the star. Yeah, yeah sure. And they don't really get interviews, the uh, mm. in, in, same access to the club that they used to. I... I mean, look, I think Eddie Howe's clearly a very competent coach. He's done a really good job at Bournemouth. Um, turned them into a Premier League club, you know, from yeah. League One, was it? I think mm. over there. And, um, but it would be a hell of a step up. A hell of a step up. Mm. And I'm not sure... I think when Arsene Wenger goes, there'll be such a vacuum uh, created by his departure that I think the club will need to go for someone who's probably got more experience at that kind of Champions League level. Uh, Mm. I think it might need someone who's got the the experience, the know-how. I mean, we all saw what to David Moyes at Manchester United, and I think Arsenal will be cautious to replicate something like that. Yeah, but you know what struck me about Eddie Howe is that, you know, Arsene Wenger has such authority and has such a profile and has such mm. this aura that is around him in, in the club uh, that he is, to almost every extent, untouchable. Yeah. So Stan Kroenke is enthralled to him. Uh, Ivan Gazidis doesn't really have the authority that a chief executive should have over a manager. It's it's kind of the other way around uh, to many uh, degrees. Mm. And I think what Eddie Howe would provide is a manager who they could have control over. The, yeah. the, the, the balance <laughs> a fall guy. Of, yeah, well, not necessarily a fall guy, but like the balance of power would shift completely. So Eddie Howe is still a very young, uh, young man, uh, very promising manager, and I think that 
if he came to Arsenal, and obviously it's a big if, you know, it would change. The dynamic would change. That, you know, he could he could say this, that, and the other, and they could say, well, either yes or no, whereas when Arsene Wenger says something, you know, what he says goes. I mean, maybe it wouldn't be a bad thing. Maybe, you know, Eddie Howe would say, I want this player, go get him. I don't give a shit how much it costs. Who gives a fuck? Whereas Arsene Wenger would say, no, we're not paying that much for him. Maybe there could of be course. positives to, to, to that sort of thing as well. But the other thing as well, of course, is that, you know, you've seen uh, managers come and go, Premier League managers who shine for a couple of seasons, but then find it very, very difficult to maintain that level of consistency. You know, you look at, uh, think of names, uh, A.D. Boothroyd, for example, the guy uh, who was at Watford, right, came up and everyone yeah. was going, this is a great guy, he could be England manager. I don't know where the hell he is now. Brendan Rodgers, mm-hmm. you know, at Swansea, isn't he great at Swansea? He goes to Liverpool, has a brilliant season at Liverpool, and then it all falls apart. Now he's at Celtic. Uh, Michael Laudrup people talking about Michael Laudrup as a potential replacement for for Arsene Wenger, had a good season at Swansea, and now he's managing in Qatar or somewhere like that. You know, again, I'll I'll tell people to to read the book uh, Living on the Volcano by Michael Calvin, uh, which is all about the football managers and uh, the the stresses and hassles and the difficulty, the sheer difficulty of the job uh, is brilliantly captured and illustrated in the book because he talks to all these various managers, guys who've been in the Premier League and then all of a sudden found themselves out of a job and with literally no chance of getting another job, despite the fact they had a huge high profile. And I think, you know, it gives you an, an interesting perspective on the on the job of uh, football managers. So I would recommend people read that. Uh, yeah, Eddie Howe, young English, likes his teams to play attract, uh, attractive football Seems like a reasonable fit, but uh, I'd be I'd be surprised. And guys, if he, if he if he spends fifteen million on Jordan Ibe, what would he spend at Arsenal? My goodness, fifteen Imagine. million pounds on Jordan Ibe. Yeah. Ah, uh, I remember Jurgen Klopp um, after he scored a goal. He came on the pitch and he was going Ibe, <laughs> Ibe, which I thought was really quite funny. But. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, look, clearly a very good coach. I see your point. I do wonder if once. Arsene Wenger does eventually go if uh, Gazidis is still in position if he'll start acting uh, if, he'll, if he'll become much more influential in the way the club mm. is run kind of almost in the way Ed Woodward is at Manchester United you know oh fuck uh, yeah, yeah no. well hopefully <laughs> hopefully better than that so you mean, really you mean bending over and taking it from the super agents at their, uh, at their whim <laughs> hopefully not quite that but um, yeah we shall see All right. we shall see have you got one more I don't know if I do actually. Have you? Um, yeah, I think I do Go here. On, pluck one, pluck one for me. Um, oh, actually, I'll tell you, I have got an interesting one. Go on then. One. Go on. It's Will Gilchrist okay. at W Gilchrist twelve thirteen on Twitter. He says, uh, speaking of Arsenal being in the states, do you think pre-season trips abroad? hinder Arsene Wenger's ability to make signings while on tour? No, not really. I think you know so much is done. These days, um, it's so easy to get in contact with people all the time, isn't it? You know, these lines of communication are open. You know, Arsene Wenger doesn't necessarily have to meet the player to convince the player. Uh, You know, we have club officials. We have a chief negotiator. We have a chief executive. You know, it it doesn't necessarily... I mean, obviously, this week, uh, they've been very focused on on pre-season. Um but no, I don't think if we really, really wanted to, I don't think it would make any difference whatsoever. I mean, I, you know, we were away, weren't we, in the summer of 2014? There was um, a World Cup, 
Uh, Arsene Wenger was commentating at the World Cup and he still managed to sign three or four players by by the end of June or mid-July. You know, Alexis Sanchez was one of them. Callum Chambers came in. Uh, David Ospina came in. Matthew Debushi came in. So, you know, no, I don't think that that kind of thing has any real impact. I think it's all to do with um, deciding who you want and how much you want to pay for them and how serious you are about bringing those players uh, into the club. So I, I do wonder if all the noises, I think maybe next week might be interesting. Maybe next week might be the one because really? Ivan Zita feeling. Yeah, Ivan Zita said, you know, this week I don't think we'll see any um, any big surprises or anything radical happening because they were away and they've got all the bits and pieces that they're doing over in the states, the training, the games, the commercial stuff, all that kind of crack. Uh, but I think probably when we're back in London next week. Uh, and, and Arsene Wenger is back in his office and, and there's just sort of a little bit of, I won't say downtime per se, but just a little bit less going on, then I think maybe it might be the week that that things happen. You know, it would be a good week for things to happen as well because then at least you can get the players in, get them settled. They could have a good week or 10 days training with the new teammates before uh, the first game of the season. So, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I think you're right. I think the only impediment... <laughs> to uh, that kind of activity happening while we're on tour would be if Arsene said, look, I don't want to deal with transfers at the moment, I just want to concentrate on the, the training and the games, but I, I think even he knows that that's not something he can afford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm just trying to think if i got any more questions. I don't know that I do, really. There was Who are we going to buy? That's the big one. Who are we going to buy? <laughs> there was one question. Oh, no, I can't remember what it was now. I just thought it was so. It was one of those um, would you questions. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. We we do enjoy those. We do enjoy those, but I can't find it. But I thought it was it was it was violent. Something violent about it. I can't remember what it was. But uh, oh really? Yeah. Well, should I just Google best would you rather questions now? Yeah. And see what comes up. Okay, let's do okay. one of those. Though. So okay, this is fifty would you rather's that will destroy you forever. <laughs> all, right, all right, shit. Okay. Okay, so pick a number between... Will I pick a number between 1 and 50? Yes. Okay, 34. 34. Okay, I'm trying to have... 34. Oh, okay. Would you rather <laughs> never have internet access again or um, never be able to take an aeroplane again? Uh, the aeroplane. Hang on, so you'd rather never have, never get on a plane? Yeah, because I could get a boat or, you know, yeah, could get a boat places. It takes longer, you could still go places. But how am I supposed to know what mad people are thinking if I don't have the internet? That's true. And also, you can travel the world via the World Wide Web. <laughs> I'm not sure that these 50 questions can really destroy you forever. I don't think they would. What's another one? Let's have another one. Give me another number. 22. Good number. My lucky number's 23, by the way. Is it? Why? So if, if those guys want to send me 23 pots of jam, that would be absolutely fine by me. Smashing. Um, it, why? I uh, don't know. Just thought I saw it everywhere. I thought I was going mad. And then, do you want, should I tell this story? It's very quick. Yeah, go Basically, on. as a teenager, I started noticing I was seeing the number 23 everywhere, uh, which was strange. Like, I would just, you know, every house and every TV show... That the door opened, it would be number 23, or, you know, I just started mm. spotting it. And, you know, you start developing these kind of self-fulfilling patterns. What was your uh, local bus route? Wasn't it 23 by any chance? No, 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 it wasn't. It just kept cropping up. But then I Googled it, and there were some other mad people who believed the same thing. 
And then Jim Carrey released a film called The Number 23 about being haunted by The Number 23, um, in which he starred, kind of like a horror film. And apparently he did so because he, too, had this fixation with The Number 23. That is weird. It's very weird. I think it's because it's a low-prime number, something like that. It, you know, you, right. I don't know, We our brains pick up on it. Any 22, you asked. Yeah. Would you rather have a time machine that only goes back in time or a time machine that only goes forward in time? Hmm. That's a really good question because there's so That's much about good. the past that I would I'd love to I'd love to know. But we have history books. We have libraries, ancient texts. You know the word there will be some mysteries that we could probably solve. But if you went forward, you could see no, okay, backwards. I don't want to see what the world's going to be like. Fuck that. Yeah, and also if you go forward to find out, you know, who wins the Grand National or whatever, you can't go backwards to place a bet. It's it's forward, you're just going... No, it's too scary forwards. I'd yeah. rather go back to what I know. Go backwards, and then, yeah, you could have, like, the, the sporting almanac. Yes. Exactly, and you could make yourself extremely wealthy by betting on sporting events that you already know the outcome of. So, you know, who won the World Cup, who won the Premier League, uh, you know, which horse won the 4.15 at Goodwood on March the 7th, uh, you mm. know, uh, 1973, if you wanted to go back. Yeah, so no, I'd, I'd rather go back. But the problem is... Does that yeah. mean you can't go forward again? Like, once you've gone back, are you stuck there? I think you're kind of stuck there, yeah. Because it can yeah. only go, can only go back in time. I would just, I, I would still want to go back. I, I don't want to be stuck in an unknown future. I'd rather be stuck in a, a known quantity. But you'd just past. be reliving. And what if you came across yourself? And you'd had that, that whole thing. That would be, you know, you could, um, yeah. what's the space-time continuum thing? You know, well, from Back know. to the Future. We, it sounds like we're going to break it, wherever yeah. it is. All right. Okay, well, look, uh, we've been waffling, and you have a, you have a, a disastrous train journey to take tomorrow. I do. You do. Um, so we'll leave it there for, for this week. Uh, good luck in Edinburgh. People can uh, check out the show that you're doing, yeah, of course. they should do. If you're in Edinburgh, if you're coming to the festival, I'm there for the whole month at, at the Pleasance. The show is called uh, Beast Present Mr. Edinburgh 2016, and it's a lot of fun. So come down. Yes, do it. All right, then. Well, we will talk to you next week from Edinburgh. Mm. Uh, which will be amazing. I can't wait to, to hear your Scottish accent. Um, uh, it'll, be- it'll be great. Jesus Christ, <laughs> really? <laughs> no. Uh, that's what I do when I arrive up there. I speak only in that voice. For, and weirdly, it doesn't endear me to the locals. It's funny it? that. It's funny that. Mm, It'd be a strange. bit like coming to Ireland and going, top of the morning to y'all. I also do that. Do I you? also do that. Right, yeah. right. To it's, be it's- sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people wonder why you end up in so in so much trouble. No, how, how does it happen? Yeah. All right. Well, listen. Have a have a great trip. Hope the first week of the show goes well, and we'll uh, we'll catch you next week. Cheers, mate. Bye bye.